Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. My name's Ralph. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here with you um, live, even through the medium of technology. And um, wherever this finds you um, this morning, I'm just praying that you know more of God's peace, of his joy, of his hope, and that actually um, you feel a sense of connection to the body of Christ. Um, as Katie just said, you know, it's not just about us. It's about a family all over the world in all kinds of different shapes and sizes that are coming together around the King Jesus, recognising his lordship and um, enjoying this journey of working out what it means to be his kids, to show up in the world. So it's amazing. Um, like I said, my name's Ralph. Um, I'm part of the team here in Manchester and um, I'm married to Laura. I've got two um, wonderful boys called Ben and Seth. And, um, and uh, yeah, I uh, just I love the, any opportunity I get to kind of um, open God's word and, um, and hear what he's having to say for all of us. So um, I'm just going to pray in a second and, uh, and then we'll uh, get stuck into what we're looking at this morning. Okay, so why don't you pray with me? Jesus, come and still our hearts. Come and speak to us. Come and move us. And Lord, just ask that you would have your way this morning. That whatever's going on, whatever um, headspace we're in, whatever kind of morning we had or whatever's been going before or is coming after, God, that we would um, hear your voice and hear your words. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just anoint what I speak, God, that everything that is of you would take root and bear fruit, but other things would just drop away. And um, God, just ask that you would come and do something significant in our midst this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, um, today is our last stop in Philippians, um, which is incredible. Like, uh, it's been amazing to, to walk through so much, um, so many, like, so much meat. It's such an incredible letter. Um, I'm not going to go back and, and recap everything for you, um, but I would just encourage you, actually, if you missed um, various bits along the way, it has never been easier to uh, go back and catch up and actually um, really sort of uh, take hold of everything that um, we've been talking about. But I think um, as it is the last in the series, it's, it's a good opportunity to sort of speak into um, kind of things to do with the series, but I think also just teaching in general. Like actually, you know, as we come to the end of one particular cycle, like, what's actually going on in us? Are we thinking, ooh, like, I wonder what's next? Or, oh, man, I can't wait for them to change the topic and start talking about something different. Or, like, um, how do we think about this little slot on a Sunday? Like, is it part of our spiritual entertainment that sometimes we enjoy more than others and that actually we just, we come to sort of see what's, see what's happening on that morning and maybe think some things are interesting and maybe think some things aren't and then kind of move on? Or do we actually, like, start to do something with what we've been taught. Like, um, because I think all of this, it only makes sense if it actually takes root in our lives and starts to bear fruit like I prayed at the start. And then just two sort of things to flag up that I think are, um, are really important. So in, in the book of James, um, he's a pretty straight talking guy, like hits things on the nose quite a lot. And, and a big theme throughout that whole letter is um, faith without works is dead. Like, it doesn't matter if you've heard something. It doesn't even matter if you believe it. Like, actually, if it doesn't make any difference, if it doesn't translate into some kind of action or activity, it's as good as dead. It's as if it's not really there. Similarly, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in um, Matthew chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, he delivers this incredible um, speech, preach, manifesto for what it looks like to live in the kingdom with 
um, literally so much wisdom and, and um, so much to take hold of it. But the very end of that, we get um, that famous little story about uh, the wise man and the foolish man. But what he's saying in that story is like, I've said all this stuff um, and those of you who hear it and respond are like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Whereas those of you who hear it and don't respond are like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The difference isn't in the hearing. The difference isn't in whether or not they're around the good ideas or not. The difference is in what they do with it, the response. And so it's like, I think for this series, for, for any series, like actually um, it's, it's great that you're listening and um, hopefully you'll agree with a lot of what I have to say, but that doesn't massively matter. What really matters is you responding to it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to swallow it whole. It doesn't mean you have to like, be like, yes, everything that Ralph said is, is right, let's do that. It means engage with it, wrestle with it, discuss it, talk about it with your friends, make it real, make it active, make it alive and respond. Because that is what makes us wise people who are building on a solid rock who is ultimately Jesus. It isn't a teaching series, it isn't a preach, it's none of that, it's Jesus. But the, the key into that wisdom that wise way of living is response, not just hearing. So I wanted to um, flag that up, just so you listen really intently when I'm talking. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to get into today, today's text, which is Philippians 4, um, starting at verse 14. So, um, yet, yet, I'm going to stop there <laughs> before we go any further. Yet, one word. And I think that it's really important because yet is a conjunction, I believe. I did Google this just to make sure. But um, it is, um, it's a linking word. It's, um, other translations use the word nevertheless. And, it, and I think it's important to stop here because that word yet, nevertheless, it means that what's coming next relates to what came before. And so it would be foolish to um, move on to what's next without first thinking about what was before. Um, and in particular, the verse before. So the um, verse 413 um, is a very famous verse. It is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I want to start just by quickly um, making some comments on that verse. Um, this is a proper fridge magnet candidate, isn't it, this one? It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's right up there with... Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, um, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Like, this one is, this is a, this is a killer. And um, great, like, that is, that is amazing. Isn't it incredible that that is true, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Like, wonderful. There's no, no wonder that people want to celebrate that because it's amazing. But I wonder if actually there's a reason that one really resonates with us quite easily. And it's that sense of, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's kind of, it's, yeah, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, it's quite focused or can be quite focused on us if you read it that way. You know, it's kind of connected to performance and achievement and doing. And it's almost like the fact that we're Christians, the fact that, that we know Jesus, it almost like gives us access to a special kind of power that's going to allow us to achieve our goals and get there because we've got something that other people haven't. And I don't want to get too into the like, minutiae of that, but I think it's just important to notice because um, 
we see it a lot, don't we? Like, particularly in, in sports, like, I don't know if any of you follow people on Twitter that are sportsmen, but, or, um, a lot of time, like, before a competition or before a game, like, it'd be, we quote that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like that sense of, because God is on my team, I'm more likely to win. That's often how we can take that verse. And, um, I wanted to flag that up and, and because I think it's important that we notice, actually, if we do that a little bit. Maybe you don't play sport, that's okay, but you can still have that same... Sorry, you knew that was okay before I said that. Um, but uh, it, it, we have that same sense of, Jesus is my mascot. He's going to help me achieve where I want to go. Um, first off, this is a wrong reading. Like Emma did an incredible job last week of talking us through contentment and what that looks like and how, uh, how we can know contentment in all seasons. Like Paul's talking from prison and he's talking about how whether he has, how, whether he has plenty or whether he has lack, he knows contentment. And, and the key is that it's a supernatural contentment that he learns, it's a process Emma was talking about through, he learns because of, um, because of his connection to Jesus, there's almost like the supernatural power is that ability to learn contentment in hard things. Do you see how that's really different from I'm going to win the championship because I go to church a lot. And I wanted to flag it up because it, that kind of reading, like, it's not entirely wrong. Like, there is, like, there is, an, there is truth to it. But um, I think when, when we look at it through that lens, like, it speaks of a tendency to two things. Um, the first of them is, like, an over-realized individualism. The sense that um, faith is about me, it's me first, it's about my experiences and the things that are around me that then Jesus comes into and through. And it also speaks about um, a tendency to focus on uh, the outcome as more important than the process. That actually that where we get to, um, that's the main deal and Jesus is going to help us get there quickly um, and don't really think so much about the process. And um, we could talk about both these things all morning. I'm not going to. Uh, I would recommend um, checking out people like Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer who've written some really interesting like, sociological stuff on this. But um, I think it's important because um, that sense of individualism and um, thinking about process, uh, outcome over process, um, they're all thinking about Jesus having a primary function to be our mascot and getting us to our goals. And I think that kind of approach... Um, it fits with how the world works. Like, individualism, outcomes, they're hallmarks of our age. Like, actually, that's how the world is set up. It's about me and what rotates around me. Like, even the way I watch TV, it's about what I want, when I want. And so I customise every part of my existence because it's about me. You know, and similarly, like, it doesn't matter how I get there as long as I get there. Like it's about, you know, the, the end justifies the means so much in, in so much of the world. And so we're supposed to be an alternative to that. Paul talked earlier in his letter about how we're supposed to shine like stars in the midst of our generation. And he talks about how we are citizens of heaven. How we're, you know, in um, 2 Corinthians, he talks about how we're ambassadors. We're representatives of a different world, a different identity, a different nature. So it's important to notice when actually, when is the spirit of the age influencing how we view scripture? And can we become aware of that and actually start to unpick it because we're supposed to be the alternative. We're supposed to um, be shining like stars, looking different. Um, 
There was another guy, well, there's probably lots of guys that have written letters from prison, but a, a famous one um, in the 20th century was a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was in prison by the Nazis. And he, um, he I haven't actually read this book, but this quote um, I come back to all the time. And it is, um, the church is the church only when it exists for the benefit of others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. The church is the church only when it exists for the benefit of others, not dominating, but helping and serving. See how different that is from Jesus is my mascot to help me achieve my goals. And actually what the world needs is for the church to exist for the benefit of others, both within the church, you know, we can't be selfish within it, but also the organisation of the church is to exist for the benefit of the others. So if we have an individualised, me-focused, outcome-focused faith, we're not going to get there. Okay, let's, um, let's actually read our passage for today. <laughs> so um, it's important because actually the, the kind of stuff we're going to discover in this passage is actually incompatible with that misreading of verse 13. So... Picking it up from verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So um, Paul's wrapping up the letter. He actually starts wrapping up the letter in chapter three. He says, finally, and he keeps on going. Um, But he, uh, so he's talking about um, a gift that the Philippians have sent to him, a financial gift of of aid. And this has been referenced numerous times through the series, the fact that, um, in prison, um, in, in these times, like, there, wasn't, there wasn't provision, actually. You didn't eat unless someone gave you food. Um, you, you required help, external help. There wasn't like a prison system that was looking after you. So, um, so it, it was vital that, um, that the Philippians helped Paul. Um, but a few things to note on this. I think, firstly, from Paul's side, like, so we just looked last week about how he was learning contentment. You know, how he how sort of, regardless of his circumstances, whatever was going on, whether he had a lot or whether he had a little, he was content. And actually, it was great gain for him. Like, there was something deeper and more spiritual going on through his circumstances that, um, that were creating this, this, um, this prize for him, um, which is amazing. And um, that's, that's a journey, a learning that we all need to go on, like Emma was talking about last week. But um, this kind of like brings it um, back to earth a little in the sense that um, he still needed help. Like even though he was on this journey, he still needed help. Um, like he needed someone to give him some bread to eat. And so um, it, it's just worth remembering that, um, I know it sounds obvious, but Christianity is, is a team sport. 
Um, I was disparaging against sport before. I'm bringing it back in positively now because I love sport. Um, like, it's something we're supposed to do together. Like, it's not like a, a set of separate individual pursuits where we're all trying to, like, attain a high spiritual plane. Like, we need each other. Like, and even someone like Paul, you know, who puts himself on a level with Jesus through this letter, like, um, even he needs help. He needs bread. He needs someone to look after him. Um, and so we need to not get lost in that. Like, actually, there are tangible, practical needs that, um, that people have around us that we're called to, um, to meet and to, and to receive from others. Um, it's also interesting to note that even though he did, like, literally need this help, like, um, still for him, the greater, the greater prize, almost, the greater good was that um, it meant something good for the Philippians. You know, the fact that they were investing in him meant that their fruit was going to increase. And that was the thing that he was celebrating. And um, I just love it because it's like, again, it, it's even though it's potentially a very, like, me-centered thing, like, I need bread, like, actually, he's most excited about the fact, oh, you're giving me food for bread, so actually, you're going to grow, you're going to increase. And so, and we start to see this kind of cycle of the kingdom, like, actually, as, as, we, as we share our needs and as we meet the needs of others and as we um, look out for ourselves and as we open our hands and as we move towards and we give and we generous, like, actually, it creates more, it creates this ongoing cycle of, of kingdom abundance. Um, and that's what Paul's getting excited about. And that, you know, their gift is going to mean good things for them. Like, we know that it's better to give than receive, but um, it's so true. <laughs> it's good to remember it. From the Philippian side, like, I, um, I did wonder, I was like, you know, if they're hearing this letter being read to them and uh, they've given this gift and then Paul's like, guys, I'm good. Like, whatever's going on, I'm happy. Like, Jesus is doing good things. I'm content. I'm growing. And I'm thinking, all right. Well, why did we bother? <laughs> like, if you didn't, didn't even eat it? Um, I'm sure they weren't thinking that. Um, but I just wanted to flag it up because um, the thing with kingdom activity, the thing with, um, you know, a life that demonstrates kingdom values, and the values that we see here are things like sacrifice and generosity and, and partnership, um, they're always the right thing to do regardless of the recipient, regardless of who's on the other end of it, doing the right thing is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, uh, talking about kind of like honouring people, we don't honour people because they're honourable, we honour them because we're honourable. You know, like that sense of if stuff's true, you do it. And so <clears throat> it isn't a case of, well, actually, if Paul didn't need as much help as we thought he did, oh, I wish we hadn't bothered. Like, because that, that misses that, that cycle I was just talking about of, you know, when we, when we step into the things of the kingdom, when we follow Jesus' example and we sacrifice and we're generous and we partner and, and we work together and we love and we serve, all those things, it, it creates, like, it's not, God just didn't, didn't just pick things to make us that were hard. Like, he, he calls us to things because they're good for us. And so regardless of what state the recipient's in, it's always better to give because that's the right thing to do. You know, similarly, like, <clears throat> there isn't a Bible verse for this, but, um, you, you know, that sense of, you know, we, we only really get to hold of what we're prepared to give away. That sense of, you know, that kind of open-handedness, that's, that's when things increase and they're positioned for, uh, for God to bless them. It's when we start to hoard and hold and store and build up 
that's when we get, you know, like the, the parable in Luke where um, with the rich farmer, like he's building up stores for himself and then eventually he's, not, he's gone, he's dead, and like it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's in the outflow, it's in the giving, it's in the open-handedness, that's where things increase and where they grow and that's where it's supposed to be. Um, that sense of it's mine, it's for me, it's for my benefit, that's when things start to die. <clears throat> One other thing to note about um, this little passage is um, from verse 15, like, I found it kind of interesting that um, Paul says how it was only the Philippians that helped them. Like, no chat about the Galatians or the Ephesians or, the, you know, these kind of guys. Like, um, I haven't quite remembered my timeline, so they might not have existed yet at this point. But the, the point stands that um, for the Philippians were doing something that no one else was doing. Like Paul said, no other church is supporting me, but you guys did. And um, it's interesting because it shows that Paul wasn't forcing people to do stuff. Like, he had a load of other churches that were connected to him, but if there was the option for them not to support him, like, he, obviously, he wasn't demanding that they do something. So that's great because it shows that it was a natural response from the Philippians, which is good because everything we do needs to come from an overflow of our heart, not a sense of obligation or duty or someone else telling us we have to. Um, but also, it shows that um, it isn't a given that just because you are in a church um, that you'll do the right thing. Like, it isn't a given that just because you're in the right place, you'll do the right thing. So, you know, there were other churches that were around, but they weren't supporting Paul. And... Um, and so it's like, actually, you can be in church, you can, you can um, do your Bible readings, you can, you can be in the right place, in the right space, but um, it, it's not a given that you're going to necessarily do the right thing. Like, actually, that's, that's up for you, for you to do or not do. And actually, sometimes you might need to stick your neck out and do something new or something different compared to what the people around you are doing. That's what the Philippians did here. Like, no one else was giving to Paul, but they did. Um, and again, it just comes back to that basic point of we do things because they're the right thing to do. So what does all this mean for us? Um, now, like, I could really spring into talking to us about tithing and about supporting our leaders and about investing in, in ministry, and um, that would be totally appropriate. Um, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, maybe next time. Um, <laughs> but um, I find that... Often, slash always, I don't want to make a, a formula out of it, but it seems to be pretty common that um, whenever, whenever like, the Bible's talking about money, it is talking about money. Absolutely, there's spiritual here around giving and, and um, multiplication and all that kind of stuff. It absolutely is talking about money, and God needs to be Lord over our finances, absolutely. Um, but it's also talking about other things beyond money, but almost like the sense of that kind of tangible, measurable thing that is pounds and pence that we all see and we all know and we've all experienced, that can actually be a really great um, description, like image almost, for some deeper spiritual principles. So I think it's important whenever you bump into um, passages about money in the Bible, yes, take the practical lessons, but also what's the spiritual lesson going on underneath? Like actually what, what's God trying to teach me about who he is, what he's like, and who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be like? Um, and for this one, it, it, it's not particularly hard. You don't need to look very far. And, and I think it, it is that first, um, that verse 14, you know, it was kind of you to share my troubles. It was kind of you 
to share my troubles. It was kind of you to share my troubles. Paul's talking to them, thanking them for their gift, but it's this simple and powerful idea that they helped him. It was kind of the Philippians to share his troubles. And how wonderful is it um, to think of when we might hear the same thing? You know, whether from the people around us or from the culture around us that, you know, would look at the church and say, followers of Jesus, it was kind of you to share my troubles. Thank you. How amazing is it to hear that? And, you know, it kind of, it feels like, you know, that passage in scripture talks about God saying, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. It's just like, oh yeah, it's simple and powerful and that's what it's supposed to be. And, and um, praise God, we see that a lot, I think. You know, like actually um, churches do so much good, incredible good. Like I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was some survey recently about just how many like volunteer hours the church provides into the UK society. And it's, and it's for everything, you know, like, homelessness, food banks, childcare, debt management, mentoring, leadership development, all this kind of stuff. There's so many ways that churches as organizations um, share the troubles of the nation. Like, um, Boris Johnson even wrote a letter, didn't he, a few weeks ago, kind of praising churches openly for their response to the pandemic and sort of recognizing the role that churches played. That's amazing. Like, great job, guys. Um, and like, similarly, like, looking around our communities, like, there's countless examples um, of, of kindness shared and, um, and, and troubles kind of alleviated by, by what we're doing. Like, um, I've been in this church since I was 18, and um, some of the kindest people I've ever met um, are part of this community. So we are seeing it, like, we're doing good. But still, I wonder if actually there are people and I use that both for the singular and the collective, around us who might say different if they had the chance. Like actually, um, you know, someone might say something like, follower of Jesus, it saddens me that you didn't notice my need. Or follower of Jesus, it hurt me that you ignored my pain. Follower of Jesus, it haunts me that you contributed to my struggle rather than help to bear my burden. Follower of Jesus, why won't you share my trouble? And man, we don't, don't have to look far for trouble these days. Like, especially in the past year, but even before then, like, we're surrounded by it and, and we've all seen so much in the last little while and um, the last thing you need is for me to start giving you a list of all the things that you ought to be doing because we probably know those things and it can be quite overwhelming and actually bring a sense of guilt and shame and, and that's never the place that God wants us to operate from. But I want you to notice like how profound it was um, that Paul needed someone to share his trouble and that his celebration of that made it into scripture. And so therefore, how much more should we be people who reject that, that mascot faith where Jesus comes to support us and, and his power is bent to our will and our desires? 
and instead embrace that call to sacrifice and generosity and partnership, those things that are the true religion of Jesus and that in which we follow his example in laying our lives down for others. You know, and it's going to look like all the things you can imagine. There's probably things on your mind right now that God's prompting you, but it's going to look like all of them, you know, whether it's reaching out to our neighbours or campaigning for the voiceless and the marginalised or, or giving to those who need it or looking after our planet or helping people who are lonely or hurting or, or anxious, like all the, all the things and more, like it's going to be all of those things. Um, and I think the key, you know, you don't, need, you don't need a list. You don't need someone to tell you all the things that you should be doing you need to check off. Like, actually, you, ne- you need to listen to what God's saying and, and respond to that. But having that heart of, actually, I'm called to sacrifice, called to be generous, I'm called to lay my life down. It's not just about me getting Jesus to, to sponsor my goals. However, I can't, um, I can't talk about this verse. Like, it would be kind of you to share my troubles and not speaking to one thing in particular, which just feels, um, it's really important to mention. Um, so this week in America, Dante Wright was killed by a policeman. And it's um, yet another example of systematic injustice, brutality, um, that has been caused by the atmospheric presence of racism that has woven itself into the very fabric of our society. That was in America, of course, but it's it's the same, this the same here. Like actually, um, these kind of things that we see on the news, they're a stark reminder of the same racial injustice that shows up over and over and over again for people in our country, in our towns, in our churches. You know, from from policing to um, educational and employment opportunities, to housing, to abuse, um, to elitism, to cultural appropriation, to all sorts of other things that I could go on listing and listing and listing. Um, People of colour experience an undeniably disproportionate difficulty because of their skin colour or their ethnicity. And this needs highlighting because um, in this of all areas, church should be hearing that statement it was kind of you to share my trouble that's what we should be hearing from our brothers and sisters but in fact so often we don't so often it's it's like i hinted at earlier more like actually followers of jesus you ignored my trouble or even more sadly you've contributed to them and then there's so much more uh, to be said here, but um, I want to read you a letter from a theologian called N.T. Wright, who, uh, who wrote a letter to a newspaper, um, and I, I think it encapsulates um, how the church should be at the forefront of the movement of anti-racism. So it's going to come up, it's a little bit long, so um, do read along with it. The earliest Christian writings insist that in the Messiah there is neither Jew nor Greek, The book of Revelation envisages Jesus' followers as an uncountable family from every nation, tribe, people, and language. At the climax of his greatest letter, St. Paul urges Christians to welcome one another across all social and ethnic barriers, insisting that the church will thereby function as the advanced sign of God's coming renewal of all creation. This is the three-dimensional meaning of justification by faith. All those who believe in Jesus, 
rescued by his cross and resurrection and enlivened by his spirit, a part of the new family. This was and is central, not peripheral. The church was the original multicultural project with Jesus as its only point of identity. It was known, and for this reason seen as both attractive and dangerous, as a worship-based, spiritually renewed, multi-ethnic, polychrome, mutually supportive, outward-facing, culturally creative, chastity-celebrating, socially responsible, fictive kinship group. I have no idea what that means. Gender-blind in leadership, generous to the poor and courageous in speaking up for the voiceless. If it has taken modern secular movements to jolt the church into recognising a long-standing problem, shame on us. But the answer is not to capitulate to the current identity agenda and then to enforce it with breast-beating, finger-wagging neo-moralism. The answer is teaching and practising the whole biblical gospel teaching and practicing the whole biblical gospel. So the fuel in the engine of being able to share each other's troubles, whether that be racism or anything else, is the whole biblical gospel. You know, being the kind of church, like Katie prayed at the start, that would actually function as the advanced sign of God's renewal of all things. Like he's making all things new. That is happening, but it's not happening out there. It's happening in and through us. And as we follow Jesus, we're supposed to be the people that, that show what this new creation looks like, that is free from pain, free from suffering, free from mourning. So I, I just want to close today by um, bringing this back to what I believe is, is the centre of gravity of that full biblical gospel. And it's the centre of gravity of this letter of Philippians. And it's, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And, um, and, and Paul in chapter 2, he, uh, he gives us this picture of who Jesus is and what he is like and, and the process that he goes under, which that is the reference point for everything. Like, no sense of, you know, neo-moralism as, as Wright calls it or, you know, obligation or religiosity like none of that's going to work like we have to be people that are so in love with Jesus so astounded by who he is and what he's done that we follow his example in moving towards the world and joining in with the healing and the restoration and the recreation that he has already started so let's read um, Philippians 2 together let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to always do the right thing or always be able to help anyone and everyone in the ways that we would like and the ways that they need us. But we can adopt the right posture 
we can adopt the right way of being in the world. And it's the same way that Jesus had. It's the way of sacrifice and generosity and of partnership. And of, um, as we see here, Jesus, who, who had everything available to him in, in heaven, did not see that as something to use for his advantage, to be pressed for his gains, to, be, um, to sponsor his goals. But instead, he emptied himself out of it. He limited himself, he reduced himself, he humbled himself. He became a man and lived and walked and breathed and suffered and died so that ultimately God could win, that, that he was brought to life again and seated in heavenly places. And it's the same journey for us that as we let go of ourselves, of, of our personal goals and plans and, and our, you know, um, the things that we think are most important actually and submit them and humble them and use them for the benefit of others rather than ourselves, that actually God breathes his resurrection life into them and where it feels like death, he brings something new. It's the same posture that, that Paul had when he was learning his contentment in prison, knowing that his suffering was producing riches that would last eternally. It's the same posture that the Philippians had as, as they stood out from the crowd and gave generously. And ultimately, like, this is the way that God wins. This is, you know, this is how he wins. Through co-suffering love, through sacrifice, through generosity, through partnership. Let, letting go of that me-centered, goal-oriented faith and becoming part of something bigger than ourselves giving ourselves to something beyond just what we see. So don't get sucked into a faith that is overly individualized and focused on results. One in which Jesus is taken as your mascot to help you fulfill your goals. Instead, follow the true way of Jesus that's marked by sacrificial love, generous and mutually beneficial partnership and the kindness to help those who are in trouble. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, you're so good. Thank you that it is astounding what you did for us. God, thank you that isn't, that isn't just a theory or a nice picture, it is the reality. That you came and you made a way for us to be part of God's big family. And God, forgive us where um, our faith is about us. When um, it's about customising the world around us and taking the things that we want to enjoy. Thank you that true joy is find, found when we connect to something bigger than ourselves. So Jesus, just as you, as you gave your life, you received resurrection. Father, would we have that same posture of open hands and open hearts and humble lives and that as we, as we exist for the benefit of others, not looking to dominate but looking to help and serve, God, would we experience the fruit and the joy and the incredible abundance that is only found in your kingdom, your kingdom that will last forever. God, thank you that your love for us is incredible. And I just pray that we'd be so secure in that, that we'd be so overwhelmed by that, the height and the depth and the breadth of it, that we couldn't help but just share that with those that are around us. So speak to us, God, specifically highlight things where we, where we need to move. 
Show us where we need to respond and give us the boldness and the courage to do it. God, knowing that, um, that all things are in you and through you. In your name we pray. Amen.